0: Rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona. This is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics.
1: Hello, I'm your host for this segment, Anna Henderson. Jason Lockett was named the Combined Maintenance Branch Chief for the Ground Combat Directorate at Yuma Test Center in February of 2023. Yet he's been supporting Yuma Proving Ground as a whole in various capacities since 1989. Lockett is here to tell us about his career at YPG and his new role. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. First off, congratulations on your new position. Tell me about the role of your team when it comes to supporting the mission.
2: So my current role, I oversee two branches. One is the combined maintenance, which includes the GSA center, and also the welding and machine shop. So with the the two combined shops, I oversee over a dozen government employees, and then we're augmented with support from the contractor.
1: Well, I'm sure that combined, they have decades of experience.
2: Yes. Between our uh, experts over there in the welding shop, James and uh, Matthew that yes, they've got tons of experience and direct relevant experience and understanding the, the mission overall. As far as com- combined maintenance, yes, there's several people over there. If you totaled up those, those years, it would be several hundreds years of experience. Again, direct relevant experience. And I say that relevant because you can be a welder, you can be a mechanic just about anywhere, but when you infuse what we do here at YPG, that makes a significant difference in my opinion.
1: So leading up to this position, you've worked in the safety office for both tracks and YTC. Tell me about those roles.
2: Starting with the tracks safety role, I was given the opportunity by Mr. Ferguson and Mr. Thompson to join the team as a specialist. And in a short time, I was given the the role and responsibility to run the department. That opportunity was great because it was a good time to change the culture and introduce an environment where there's ability to openly communicate. And that's key because when it comes down to it any safety person can go up on the internet and look at a safety program you know throw it against the wall see if it sticks but, but the real trick of it is is producing or allowing for an environment to where there's open communication because the folks in the team in the field they're the ones that know the real the real challenges and the real solutions so it's to be able to extract that information and you do that by developing a culture and an environment to where they can exchange that we successfully did that, on, and over a short period of time, like within the first year, our accident, injury rates, and incident rates all reduced significantly. Over the years that I worked in that role, I took on some additional responsibilities and roles. Again, using that basis and methodology of a good culture, good environment, open communications, that allowed for there to be also the same successes in those additional roles as well.
1: You've also spent several years with Shearwater. I think that's what, again, another role that people recognize you in. Tell me about the great things your team did there.
2: Well, that list is going to be very, very long. <laughs> again, several of the people that I started with back in 1989, like uh, Almina uh, DeWitt, uh, Marty Ford, Mike Pagan. I mean, the list can go on and on. Uh, again, years and years of direct, relevant experience. So they were acclimated with my style of. So being able to assume that position and rejoin the ISSC team, we were able to, again, start making significant positive improvements because they knew I encouraged and they embraced process improvement. So they weren't afraid to bring those, those good ideas forward. And then it was my job to, to make sure that they were executed properly through the government.
1: Those who are not familiar with Shearwater Mission Support, can you just give me a one-sentence line of how they support?
2: basically from from mowing the grass all the way up to energizing the power lines and everything in between. So everything they do, you can almost relate it to like a critical service, because if any one of those departments doesn't succeed, that's essentially shutting down a, a department.
1: Now, from what I've seen, you care about your employees and you advocate for them. Can you share some of the examples of the things that you've done to let your team know that you care?
2: Well, one is I really truly embrace the open door policy right and and they take advantage of that i try my best to get to a level where it's a, it's a, on you know personal and professional so that way they can communicate different challenges that they may have and, and which allows me and gives me the opportunity to, to help where i can uh, some of the things that i've done that i know that the team has recognized when families have family events either good or bad i've always been there to support them we did have one individual that was out for a significant amount of time. And if the family, you know, of course was, it it was a hardship for them. So me and the team, I I can't tell you how many times we, we had dinner delivered to the family just to help.
1: And your team also did nice things for the community. I remember they collected supplies for the Crossroads Mission. So things like that, again, just showing you care. Now, I feel like we should insert the song from Drake, started for the bottom, now I'm here. Because <laughs> you had mentioned to me that you started in the landscaping department mowing grass. So is that why you feel like you find ways to connect with your staff?
2: Yeah, I think that actually was um, established the framework of what now is kind of my straw man, if you will, on, on managing and supporting my team in any environment that I am allowed to you know, participate in. The, the value there is um, I was able to work through the ranks all the way from the very bottom which not only gave me some diversity but also allowed me to understand the different challenges because each shop has a different mission and they have different challenges. So. Uh, basically, that that really gave me an opportunity to see across the board what it's like to have to perform the duties that are essential to YPG sport.
1: And you mentioned that sometimes you would put on your your worker shirt and you would go out there and you'd pick trash or you know do whatever you could do to just stay grounded and just help your team out.
2: Yeah, that was one of the things that um, that I really enjoyed because it's not only a, a de stressor, but it was also an opportunity to demonstrate to my team that I'm willing to do whatever it is that I asked them to do. Most importantly for me, it kept me me grounded because you can sit behind the desk and lose sight of what it's like to be out in the field. And then that could affect some of the decisions you make. And so having the grounded piece along with all this data, you're more successful when you make data-driven decisions.
1: Now, we didn't list all the positions that you've held over the course of your career because there are many, but how would you say they, all of the experience prepared you for your current role?
2: One, like I mentioned, the, the diversity. The Second, I've had great opportunities to work either alongside of or for great leaders. I also had some some leaders that had some challenges, and I actually still learn from from those opportunities as well. So I, that helped mold me, but... I think, I think the secret sauce, if you will, is to take care of your employees, not just say that you're going to take care of them, but demonstrate that you're going to take care of them. And it's not something that you can do one day and then check that box and say, OK, they trust me. They believe in me. That's a challenge. As a, as a true leader, you, you have to achieve every single day.
1: Now, your former supervisor, Mr. Mike Demko, the safety director, said this about you. He said, Jason did a lot in the year that he was with the safety director. Mr. Lockett is a very rare individual. If you are very fortunate within your career, you may find two like him in a lifetime to work for you. Someone like Jason is hard to replace. When you hear that, what does it make you feel?
2: Well, it made me feel really good, but uh, I can tell you it wasn't it wasn't me. There's no I in team, as, as they say. It's gathering the right people for the right task, giving them a, a clear understanding of what the challenge is and what the outcome needs to be.
1: Jason, thank you for all the work that you do to support the mission at YPG, and again, congratulations on your new role.
2: Thank you very much. I'm excited for the opportunity.
0: Hello I'm Mark Schauer. For over 37 years optics group manager Chris Eliasson has operated instruments such as the Kineto tracking mount to gather test data on projectiles flying hundreds of feet per second. If that wasn't fast-paced enough Eliasson has spent decades in his spare time as a stock car racing pit crew member. For the uninitiated Tell us about the capabilities of these tracking mounts that you used for decades.
3: Glad to do so. Thank you, Mark. Um, so the primary workhorse of uh, YPG's optical tracking fleet is the Coneto tracking mount, KTM for short. Its ability to provide a really smooth uh, track of an object, which is really, it can be very noticeable, with especially with large lenses, if, if there's some uh, shutter or some vibration in the mount that's very detectable in the video. But also the tracking mounts are capable of, producing time-space position information, TISP for short. So two or more, really three or more tracking mounts tracking the same object at the same time can produce time-space position information as long as the you know, the tracking mounts are set up properly and surveyed, located by geodetics, that kind of thing. Um, so it's the, we help answer the testing questions. I like to say the how far, how fast, how much kind of thing. How far, how far did the item travel? How fast did it uh, travel? Uh, can do some attitude measurements and things like that. So, the hand-eye coordination it must take to operate one of these—if
0: you're tracking an artillery round in flight—just astonishes me.
3: Yeah, I will tell you the the guys that are operating the tracking mounts these days—they're they—they uh, they can track circles around me. The guys are very good. Uh, they have um, an assist, if you will. They have a—they can actually build a simulation that is supposed to identify where the projectile. Uh, is or where where it's projected to be in, in space. So that uh, th- that simulation describes the azimuth and elevation movements the mount has to make to keep up with the projectile. But there's no, there's nothing that's perfect. So the operators have to kind of tweak that simulation. They also have a joystick so they can bias the simulation. And there's some items that they just track uh, manually. So really good hand-eye coordination. It, it does take quite a bit uh, to do that. Some of these items are very small. They're fast. A lot of those items are not – they don't stand out. They don't have lots of contrast against uh, blue sky. OD, OD Green, for example, even uh, aircraft uh, as large as some of those cargo aircraft are at 30,000, 35,000 feet in altitude and a few miles away from the tracking mount site they can be very difficult to, to find. So these guys do a – they do a great job.
0: You've worked all of your adult life doing this at Yuma Proving Ground but for even longer, you've been quite the stock
3: car enthusiast. you want
0: to talk about that
3: a little bit? Yeah, thank you. You betcha. I'd love to. Um, so I will say up front, I have never uh, never aspired or never undertook, uh, I guess, uh, any driving. That's really not my thing. I've never driven a stock car competitively. I did take a car out in a track uh, several years ago, just kind of idled it around, and uh, it really didn't do anything for me. And much more fun is working on the cars and been working on cars uh, for years going back to about oh you know, late 80s or so and fooled around with a lot of stock cars uh, been a crew guy just kind of helping out uh, wherever um, Worked with some of my different friends uh, just a Saturday night uh, hobby all the guys you know that I that I race with they all work uh, you know the 40 or 50 or 60 hour a week job and the Saturday night uh, racing is just a just a hobby I've, I've been fortunate enough to work on a lot of different cars I've uh, it's been several years, but uh, I went over the wall a couple times as a crew man on a, a NASCAR Winston West uh, team, and I uh, was a jack man and a fuel man. Um, I I say there's nothing quite like the exhilaration of uh, being over the wall when your driver's car is coming in. Uh, I'll give you, like, uh, for example, a big track like Las Las Vegas at the Super Speedway. I've been over the wall, uh, put the jack under the car, and jacking the car up, and cars are blasting down pit road and. Uh, Boy, it's like uh, <laughs> hoping that uh, everything goes along smoothly. Hope the other drivers don't, uh, don't, uh, you know, don't uh, get too close to the car, kind of thing. How did you ever get interested in it? So I had a good buddy of mine who worked out here at the proving ground for for years and years. A good friend, uh, Paul Garrett, and uh, Paul raced stock cars. We worked for the same company out here. We worked in different offices, and I knew that Paul raced. I had never seen a race other than on TV, seen NASCAR uh, races, but I'd never been to a short track or any other track to see racing uh, in person. But uh, I had known that Paul raced, and uh, we got to talking about it one time, and he said, well, hey, if you want to come out and see the races, come on out. And at the time, uh, the locals were racing at Quichon Speedway in Winterhaven, California. So uh, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. We decided to go out and watch the races, and, boy, we just had a blast. And I went down to the pits after the races, and my buddy Paul said, so what would you think? I said, boy, this is great love it. But um, I said, I don't want to sit in the grandstands. I want to get my hands dirty. Yeah, my buddy Paul really got me into that. And then it just kind of, it just grew from, uh, le- grew leaps and bounds from that. I actually worked uh, part-time at the the local racetrack here. It's Cocoa Paw Speedway. Back in the day, it was Yuma Speedway. And uh, worked uh, for a couple of different promoters there as a assistant announcer and assistant flagman, and uh, used to write press releases. I like to tell folks long before there was email, it was uh, <laughs> using a word pres- word processor writing press releases and then faxing them to the different uh, racing uh, news organizations, and mm-hmm. uh, helped with some track prep and washing billboards and occasionally cleaning bathrooms, kind of whatever whatever it took. My Interest was to just kind of learn all I could about racing. It was all you know, volunteer and good experience, and just kind of fed my hobby. Are you
0: still into it these days?
3: I am, not as much as I used to be. Just age, age has kind of caught up with me a little bit. I just don't have as much energy as I used to. But uh, yeah, I still uh, still like to get my hands dirty. I've, I've been known to sit in the grandstands on some Saturday nights, though, especially if my if my buddies aren't uh, aren't racing. Then I'll just. Yeah, sit back with a cold, uh, soft drink and join the, enjoying the races. But, yeah, still still involved, still doing some tire preparation and kind of whatever. Got a couple of buddies who uh, who race. Uh, they don't always, you know, not racing uh, every single night of the schedule, but they're they're racing uh, here and there. So, yeah, get to feed my hobby. Chris Eliason, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate the invitation. Great to talk with you.
0: This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.